millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Um, I'm going to talk tonight a bit about Eisenhower's domestic record, and we're moving away from McCarthyism now. We've said um, more than enough about that, and if you want to look back over the last few months, there's there's plenty to be uh, uh, to to listen to on, on that subject. The problem sometimes when when you look at a, a a key issue like um, McCarthyism and, and, and the Red Scare is it obscures other really revealing things. And it obscures particular currents in political thinking and in uh, policy um, that are, if, if, you can, if you can examine them, really tell you an interesting story. So a, a popular view of the Eisenhower years is that this was a, uh, a kind of a post-war return to a uh, the, the dominance of the nuclear family the the joys of suburbia the the kind of um hill valley in back to the future vision of uh, of america um that uh, um period of uh, kind of uh, patriarchal consolidation for sure uh, and the um, the marginalization of uh, those considered to be socially or uh, in, in other ways deviant but for the um, uh, the white American nuclear family uh, of middle America a kind of a golden age and to some extent that's true but that obscures actually um, how Eisenhower viewed the world um, and viewed his position as as president. Eisenhower is f- is far more right wing than uh, is given credence for. The fact that the subsequent Republican presidents are um, Nixon um, with a, with Ford in the middle and then Reagan, uh, who certainly are. Uh, um, move the, the kind of the Overton window of, uh, of discourse far to the economic and social right, um, rather kind of ignores, uh, takes the, the, the spotlight off Eisenhower. And one thing that uh, kind of obscures Eisenhower as well is one of the constraints that Eisenhower was under. Eisenhower um, was uh, the first Republican president since Hoover. And in between, there had been Roosevelt and to to lesser uh, to lesser extent Truman, both of whom uh, Roosevelt having been um, elected four times, having passed not only the New Deal but having spent infinitely greater sums during the Second World War, mobilising the entire nation to defeat Nazism, unpicking the New Deal so soon after you know really. A, a, a decade after its architect had died, is politically unfeasible. And as a result, the New Deal uh, shaped uh, American politics and discourse really all the way up to um, all the way up to Reagan. And Reagan is the president who makes the uh, has the, the biggest contribution to undoing it, though one of Nixon's first kind of acts was swinging, bubbly, uh, swinging um, budget cuts uh, and the, the kind of the, the introduction of uh, kind of a, a, a deliberate manufactured government austerity. Um, 
and the, the reason for this because um, the, the New Deal was considered an anathema to the Republicans who never embraced it, who always opposed it, and who always swore to undo it. Um, they viewed it as uh, the, uh, the, the, growth, the unacceptable growth of the state, and it's finally Reagan that um, killed it off. Um, in his um, in the, the early 1980s, the last vestiges of it, and the, we see a similar um, uh, a similar ideological offensive on this side of the Atlantic uh, with the Conservative Party and its um, uh, relentless destruction of all aspects of the 1945 post-war settlement, the last one being the NHS, which is being dismantled bit by bit. Okay, so tonight we're reading from Grand Expectations again by James Patterson, and Patterson writes, Although McCarthy and Red Scare issues threatened to obscure other political matters in the early 1950s, they were by no means the only concern of the era. Other domestic controversies, mostly fermenting political deadlock, illuminated Eisenhower's strengths and weaknesses in these years. Liberals who explored Eisenhower's philosophy concerning these domestic issues were sure that he was ill-informed and near-reactionary. Concerning social welfare, he had snapped in 1949, if, Americans if all Americans want is security, they can go to prison. He said of the Tennessee Valley Authority, by God I'd like to sell the whole thing, but I suppose we can't go that far. Like most politicians at the time, he paid little attention to widespread rural poverty or to urban decay. Eisenhower himself conceded that he was a conservative on domestic issues, admitting that Taft, who had uh, come to favour federal aid to education and public housing, was by far more liberal and radical than anything to which I could ever agree. And I think there are two standout interesting things there. Firstly, when he talks about the Tennessee Valley Authority, this um, massive provision of hydroelectric dams and electrification for 14 states in the uh, centre and south and west of, of America. Um, he says, I'd like to go, I'd like to sell the whole thing, but I suppose we can't go that far. There's the recognition that the uh, dismantling of the New Deal in its entirety would be political suicide. And this is the only reason why uh, the Republicans were measured and gradual in their approach. They knew that there's only so much you can do. Um, there's only so much you can do to tear up social safety nets and um, to uh, re-kind of expose the public to the vagaries of market forces. The second, that was that, that Patterson points out is that his disinterest in rural poverty or urban decay was not unique. It was um, shared by most politicians at the time because most politicians at the time in both Republican and Democrat parties are um, elected in order to service one or other aspect of uh, the business elites. The New Deal was not about socialism, it was about creating a, the framework, the economic framework to stabilise capitalism, to stop it, as it periodically does, from devouring itself. And the opponents of the New Deal um, are opposed principally because 
the uh, the wealthy moneyed interests of America view it as inconvenient or as a threat to their personal wealth or um, share values. Eisenhower seemed so vulnerable on domestic matters that liberals had a field day making fun of him. Some dub, uh, some dubbed him Eisenhoover. When he tried to summarise his domestic philosophy by saying that he was conservative when it comes to money and liberal when it comes to human beings, Adlai Stevenson, ever quick with a quip, retorted, I assume what it means is that you will strongly recommend the, the, the building of a great many schools to accommodate the needs of our children, but not provide the money. So, Patterson writes, like most wisecracks in politics, this one was an, a little unfair. Eisenhower was indeed uninformed on domestic matters when he became president, but he did have a fairly coherent philosophy of government. It was well described in a statement of Abraham Lincoln's that he liked to repeat. The legitimate aim of government is to do to for a community um, for, of people whatever they need to have done, but cannot do at all or cannot so well do for themselves in their separate and individual capacities. In all that the people can individually do as well for themselves, government ought not to interfere. So it, it was a, a, a view of um, social conservatism that there, there can be and should be some sort of safety net there, but it should be at the bare minimum. There should, it should be the minimum amount. Uh, and because of this conservative uh, idea uh, about the individual, about how the state will inevitably sap the enterprise and initiative of the individual if the state does too much, and the the kind of the the vitality of America was at stake, and the uh, um, ingenuity that had powered America um, would be kind of robbed by the, the excessive functioning of the state. Uh, um, this is a very obviously kind of a historical view of things and the kind of wealth of America that was generated in the 19th century was there were pioneering people, but there was also the mass evictions of Native Americans from their lands, the buildings of uh, railroad, railroads with uh, cheap Chinese labor and on all these kind of exploitative things. It's rugged individualism kind of has to exist within a, a, a context of colonialism uh, in order for it to make any sort of sense. So that this sort of um, uh, individualist um, frontier sort of attitude uh, and ideology um, uh, has a kind of rather, rather, un rather unpleasant hidden aspects to it. People reaching out to grab things that originally belonged to other people. What is meant in practice? Uh, what this meant in practice was what his most enthusiastic, enthusiastic supporters called modern republicanism. Writes Patterson. This was a little right of centre in emphasis. Believing in limited government, Eisenhower passionately endorsed conservative fiscal policies, balancing the budget and cutting government spending. Even on defence were his highest goals. Eisenhower spoke at the end of his presidency famously about the military-industrial complex and. Um, how how bad that that would be. This kind of toxic mix of government spending and arms producing oligarchs um, and um, oligarchies. 
Curbing spending, in turn, helped bolster his philosophical opposition to federal aid to education, a major cause of liberals in the 1950s, and to socialised medicine. He sought to cut costly federal price support to agriculture. He approved legislation returning Tidelands oil, uh, which liberals argued belonged to the national government, to private interests in the states. He wanted, above all, to decrease the role of government because he believed that large-scale federal intervention threatened individual freedom, the ultimate good in life. To be conservative did not mean to be reactionary. Eisenhower was emphatic about the distinction between the two. Although he sought to reduce spending, he was not a mindless slasher. The Republican right complained that he did not cut federal expenditures enough when he took over. A young conservative senator, Barry Goldwater of Arizona, later said that Ike ran a dime store New Deal. Now, obviously, we've talked about Goldwater an awful lot in the past, um, you know, however many years. Goldwater is this pivotal figure from about 1964 onwards, who has a, uh, well, actually before 64, 64, um, uh, up to his uh, his fatal attempt to uh, unseat um, uh, to to un, un, unseat Johnson, and uh, he, he gifts Johnson with the the biggest land, landslide victory in '64 in American history to that point. Um, Goldwater's ideas, uh, which were um, hugely, uh, uh, which were embraced and, and kind of brought about, brought to bear later by Reagan, were perhaps a, a little bit before their time. The the, um, uh, the ideological uh, framework existed, but the kind of the the correct uh, economic and social conditions, the, the correct crises, didn't exist at that point in order for them to uh, really, really uh, resonate with people. The idea of um, uh, dramatic uh, cuts to state spending, dramatic uh, cuts to taxation, the idea that uh, the uh, that, that an individual's money belongs to them and that taxation is some form of theft and the, the state is fundamentally illegitimate, all this kind of really, really uh, crazy stuff. Um, the um, uh, to to people like Goldwater, Eisenhower was really just a you know a, a phony somebody who who spoke in the language of conservatism but didn't really mean it. Like most public figures at the time, the presidents accepted the need for a little compensatory um, fiscal policy when times demanded it. And keeping a close eye on spending was not an abstract end in itself, but a means of warding off inflation which seemed to him and to many contemporary economists to be the most worrisome problem during and immediately after the economically stimulating Korean War. If you have a country like America that's going through an economic boom after the Second World War that is reaching uh, full capacity economically in terms of its, its annual levels of growth, and then you pump into it a, a massive conflict like the Korean War, where state spending has to shoot up on everything from electronics through to rubber tires through to uh, textiles and fabrics and dyes for uniforms um, you know the, the whole lot um, then you you get a, a problem with inflation because there's no um, productive spare unused productive capacity in the economy for this additional liquidity to go to so you wind up with a, a bidding a bidding war for commodity prices um, 
Then this his administration did help to control, and the next few years were remarkably prosperous and stable. Even Galbraith, J.K. Galbraith, this is the the, the uh, uh, Democrat supporting economist, no friend of the GOP economic policy, conceded that in January 1955 the administration as a whole had shown remarkable flexibility in the speed with which it had moved away from these slogans of balanced budgets. So in that, that's the sort of thing that Galbraith would inevitably think was a good thing. Um, so Eisenhower, in these um, difficult moments, uh, was able to be flexible um, and, and non-dogmatic. The president was all, also uh, proved ready to accept a few moderately liberal ventures in the realm of social policy. Should any political party attempt to abolish social security, unemployment insurance, and eliminate labour laws and farm programmes, he warned his conservative brother Edgar, you would not hear of that party again in our political history. He therefore um, uh, thereupon signed in 1954 a broadening of social security. He also sought to extend the minimum wage, which covered fewer than half the wage workers in the United States. Both programmes, of course, were financed primarily by employers and workers, not by federal funds that might increase federal deficits. But Eisenhower in no way threatened the welfare state beginning in the New Deal years. Social welfare expenditures during his presidency rose slowly but steadily as a percentage of GMP, from 7.6% in 1952 to 11.5% in 1961, especially after 1958 as a percentage of federal spending. So that's the kind of the the, the core of this. And I suppose the, the, the core of this, this particular episode is how significant the, the New Deal was in constraining the uh, budget slashing instincts of presidents uh, after Roosevelt um, and how um, the nascent kind of new new Republican right that was emerging in figures like Goldwater and of course Nixon is um, Eisenhower's vice president and um, Reagan during these these years is developing really from the, the kind of the, the absolute fringes of of the Republican movement um, and had been a kind of uh, had been a, a a speaker on behalf of American capital uh, to um, uh, American disgruntled American workers um, uh, for for many many years. It was where actually he first started to see his real his first real money, um, extolling these kind these ideas that in the 1970s and 80s really capture the the mainstream, they really capture centre stage and they are still enormously powerful even now through the the kind of the use of right-wing think tanks and dark money and the Koch brothers and all, all that sort of thing. Uh, they kind of have now mutated into um, different um, different kinds of um, uh, different sorts of arenas, uh, the and things, to do with, things to do with climate change and um, uh, denying uh, the, the basic reality of, of climate science and that, that, that sort of thing, or at least sort of slowing it down and preventing uh, the interests of oil companies and uh, investment funds that uh, uh, do very well to that sort of thing from, from being affected. So the New Deal was this kind of historic 
barrier to the Republican right, and they persistently chipped away at it until we, we have um, an America, once again, that is, is riven by enormous, enormous economic disparities and, uh, and insecurities. Uh, but that's a conversation for another time. Beyond these moves lay a larger vision of what the United States should be, a cooperative society in which major groups such as corporations, labour unions and farmers would set aside their special interests to promote domestic harmony and economic stability. See, politicians love that. They love the idea that competing groups, some of whom will win and some of whom will have to lose, should voluntarily lay down their cudgels and say, ah, well, we're all Americans, aren't we? Or we're all British, aren't we? Or we're all Germans or what have you. And simply function in some greater sense of the, the, the national interest. But of course, that's to completely misunderstand the functioning society. You know, a, a high school sociology textbook will tell you that. Um, the state, Eisenhower believed, would serve as an arbiter of this cooperative commonwealth, acting to bring excessive special interests together and restraining their demands. As in his dealings with McCarthy, however, Ike shrank from involving the presidency in controversial questions. Better, he thought, to stand above the battle and in doing so preserve his political standing. Partisanship, moreover, was to Ike a word every bit as dirty as special interest. He complained to Truman that uh, he complained that Truman had used ward boss strong arm tactics that had not worked and had diminished the prestige of the presidency. He added, I'm not one of those desk panning types that likes to stick out his jaw and look as if he's a he's, uh, look as if he is bossing the show. I don't think it's the function of the president of the US to punish anybody for voting as he likes. In holding this Whiggish view uh, of the presidential role, Eisenhower indeed conserved his personal prestige and popularity. If he had tried to push through major domestic legislation, he would surely have provoked determined opposition. Contemporary measures of public opinion indicated the majority of middle class and politically influential Americans in the 1950s, especially after the aftermath, after the aftermath of the Korean War, did not look to government for great changes. So I suppose there is an element to say that the, the, president, the, the presidents may influence the times, but it's the people that make the presidents or vote for particular presidents. And, were, and, and perhaps Eisenhower had astutely read the uh, the mood of middle America uh, and presented them with the um, with the the figure that they they actually wanted um, this figure who um, present who had uh, this brand of modern republicanism um, and um, a kind of fairly limited government that would um, give a, a social safety net which uh, created a, a sense that America was at least some kind of a harmonious society, but not one which threatened some of the, the kind of the, the uh, cherished uh, nostrums um, that American kind of the, 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 the American sense of, uh, of it, America's sense of itself is, is built on such as rugged individualism. Um, the 
public were generally tired of the angry controversies of the 40s and the 50s, they, of, of McCarthyism, developing ever larger expectations about their personal futures. They were bent on maximizing the substantial economic and educational gains that they were, that, um, that were coming, uh, they were coming to enjoy. Pressure groups too resisted change um, that threatened their standing. It's, uh, it is simply ahistorical to think that Eisenhower, who was elected as a moderate, could have or should have demanded major reforms. As we'll see as we uh, make our way through the Eisenhower presidency over the next few months, um, change uh, and reform would be on Eisenhower, uh, be upon Eisenhower through um, the nascent civil rights struggle, whether he liked it or not. Uh, and that would add uh, an entirely different dimension to the Eisenhower presidency. Anyway, until then, thanks very much for listening. Do come and find us at the Explaining History Facebook group. There's always something interesting happening there. Check us out on www.explaininghistory.org. Um, we'll be adding some new content there pretty soon. And um, all the best. Catch you soon. Bye-bye. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.